0: You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars, and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. This podcast features a paper. From Transnational Humanities, Concept and Praxis, the 2021 UCD Humanities Institute PhD Conference. This online conference took place on the 19th of February. This podcast features the conference keynote, which was given by Dr. Alva Kenny from Mary Immaculate College, University of Limerick, who presented on Shaping Space While Stateless, Insights from Transcultural Interactions
1: thank you very much for the invitation. I'm I'm already really enjoying um, the huge variety of of thoughts and ideas and perspectives already, so so thank you for that. Um, As the title of the talk suggests, I want to discuss how transnationalism, statelessness, migration and diaspora can all become entangled through, in and across cultural interactions. I particularly want to focus on how people deemed stateless create cultural spaces to open up new forms of identity that resist narrow categorizations, nationalisms, monocultures, and fixed geographies. Thus, the discussion today moves away from refugee and asylum-seeking tropes that rely on narratives of victimhood. Rather, I want to foreground agency and a claiming of space within networks of diverse communities in which individuals work to shape and are shaped by transcultural interactions. I've been increasingly interested in recent years in how people deemed stateless belong to and sound Irish cities through their actual music making. As Keevan and Meinhoff state, by following the life stories and career trajectories of migrant musicians as individuals we are able to move away from discourses that essentialize ethnicity instead we're able to trace the experience of migrants as individuals who are not solely identified in terms of their ethnic or national affiliations for people who are seeking asylum or have sought asylum in their lives their music making becomes an alternative way of being and a form of transnational citizenship. Western reminds us that citizenship is not only something conferred or denied by the nation state, but something performed, and that these performances are ethical, cultural, creative, social, and often pleasurable. So I draw on ethnographic research, which included attending gigs, formal interviews, informal conversations, as well as broadcasts and videos that are publicly available. And as you can imagine, those publicly available broadcasts and videos have become more important this last year than ever before. Uh, To kind of situate the research, the research is ongoing and and the current examination forms part of a much larger European project uh, that's funded by HERA on migration and integration in night spaces. So the research today I'm presenting on is carried out alongside postdoctoral research fellow, Dr. Katie Young. And we're specifically in Ireland, looking at migrant music making amongst the African diaspora. And as you can see, across different countries, there's different kinds of people have taken different types of focus. You know, they've they've, um, some people are looking at bike couriers, for instance. Others are looking at LGBTQ plus spaces that that migrants are are. uh, Shape themselves in London. You know, there are people looking at youth practices in Rotterdam, Cape Verdean communities in Amsterdam, etc. etc. So, quite a, a nice variety of, of different types of projects going on, but all under this umbrella of how migrants uh, narrate night spaces. For this discussion today, though, I focus on musicians living in Ireland who are seeking asylum or who have been part of the asylum seeking system. The lives, of course, of their lives are complex. They're invariably both transnational and intersectional. Stereotypes and assumptions are therefore unhelpful and false. As Tollfree commented on Refugee Lives, there is more to me than trauma. As such, Their identities undergo processes of multi-belonging, where lives can be, as Katrina Nelirex and and other authors have said, their lives can be embedded in local places as well as in global, global and transitional spaces. Hall's understanding of racial and ethnic identity, I think, is also a useful lens to consider. For him, race is a floating signifier. Its meaning is not fixed, but rather contextual, and as such, Racial identity is constantly being redefined within different encounters and cultures. Sociologist Zygmunt Bauman sees all refugees as stateless, claiming they're outcasts and outlaws of a novel kind. All measures have been taken to assure the permanence of their exclusion. This stance strongly echoes the work of Said, describing the contemporary condition as the era of the exile. Within such an age, he claims dominant Western ideas of fixed identities, attachments and certainty fall away. This is, of course, quite a radical shift and one which does not always sit well with non exiles. Returning to Bauman, he too points to the discomfort strangers and more specifically refugees bring with them to host societies. He explains, strangers tend to cause anxiety precisely because of being strange and so fearsomely unpredictable, unlike the people with whom we interact daily and from whom we believe we know what to expect. Directly relating to the exilic condition to transcultural interactions, musicians are entangled in struggles, which of course are geopolitical and economic, but simultaneously, are cultural, social, and indeed intellectual. Bounded by asylum seeking systems, they arrive as exiles, as Said would call them, and as Bauman would say, strangers. The transient and temporary nature of asylum seeker accommodation, known here in Ireland as direct provision, further adds to this, where they're often physically segregated from the local villages, towns and cities that they actually reside in. And indeed, I know there are um, there are people on this on this Zoom seminar not from Ireland. So to give you a a kind of a flavor um, of what the kind of controversies that surround direct provision, I've just put up some images here. This system was set up in the year 2000 to house those seeking international protection. The residents receive a weekly allowance, very meagre, in addition to food and board. The accommodation settings are very, very controversial. Um, And indeed, you get a sense of those kind of media debates and controversies, even just from, from that one slide. The three musicians discussed in this presentation all arrived in Ireland seeking asylum. And one of them, in fact, still resides in direct provision. This aspect of their lives intersects and interrelates with the multiple transnational and intersectional identities that they hold. They also span different ages of arrival in Ireland. And this, I think, is is quite interesting. Um, One of the musicians I will speak about arrived as a young child, another in their late teens, and another as a middle-aged adult. This adds another, yet another interesting layer to the study in seeking to examine how these three Afro-Irish musicians are not just shaping and being shaped by Irish cultural spaces, but how they're breaking boundaries to essentially build new musical spaces to which they belong to. So with that, I would like you to meet Sunita Apakarang. Here she is. Sunita was born in South Africa and left at eight years of age with her mother and sister to seek asylum in Ireland. They lived in direct provision for two years, after which time a deportation order was served. Their mother fled the night before they were due to be deported and the two siblings were subsequently adopted by an Irish family in Kerry. Sunita went on to gain a degree in music and English at University College Cork and is 28 years of age. She describes herself as a singer, songwriter, collaborator and DJ. She is the lead singer with Cork-based band Shukra and that's the band image there. And she also hosts a monthly podcast on Dublin Digital Radio called Points of Intersection. And I recommend Uh, that you log into that one. Very interesting stuff there. Sunita is acutely aware of how exoticized she was growing up in a small town in the southwest of Ireland due to her skin color. Here's a short clip of her recounting this in the documentary, This Land. We moved to like Castlemaine Village on the side of a mountain in like 2003 or something. And genuinely people might not have seen that many like that many foreign people Walking on a mountain, like off the bus, going home. In any case, never to mind, like uh, an African family. There's a shared camaraderie about certain experiences relating to like colonialism or whatever else and stuff. So maybe there's a a kind of a natural curiosity as to like, oh, you know, where does your family hail from? And la 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 la. And then in the wider context of racial things, it kind of gets like hard to decipher where the intent and in that is from. But for me, like for the most part, people were just super curious. They were just like. She's, you know, the faces are changing in me now. And I'm like, yeah. She explains the different experiences of living with diversity within direct provision to a very homogenous school experience, both occurring within her childhood at the same time on a daily basis. She says in direct provision, it felt like a different orbit because you were mainly surrounded by people from different parts of the world. But as soon as you went into school, you felt the novelty of everyone being like, oh my God, do you carry buckets of water on your head? And like answering questions. I was like, literally South Africa is the richest country in Africa. I went to a private school with very fancy uniforms to like a school in Town, which is totally fine and has a great education. But I was like, guys, you know nothing, get a grip. Musically, Sunita was singing regularly from a young age and this was embedded in family life through church going. While Sunita describes a more vibrant Pentecostal church in South Africa, she also explained in an interview that the church music side of her journey was able to continue in Ireland with her family. Furthermore, international artists such as Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey were a major influence on her in South Africa, but those influences also carried over to Ireland quite easily. She recounts then that musically as a young child, coming to Ireland expanded her influences As opposed to radically change them and this is in quotes so all of these girl bands and early noughties brit pop and all those now cds and stuff i was obsessed with buying all of those it broadened my exposure as well to more american artists and kind of westernized music on a bigger scale because it was just like the predominant stuff that was played on tv and radio so it was kind of less of a shift of music community and just more that it really expanded it end quotes Interestingly, Samantha Mumba was at the peak of her career during her childhood. So this is really interesting. For anyone who doesn't know who, who Samantha Mumba was, some of you may remember and some of you may not. Um, but she was um, an Irish-born uh, pop artist. But her, her one of her parents came from um, Zimbabwe, I think. But I'll have to double check that. Zimbabwe, I think. Um, and, and So this was interestingly interesting how Sunita was able to identify with Samantha as a child growing up. And and I quote from Sunita, I remember lying to my friends in secondary school. I was just like, yeah, Samantha Mumba is my cousin. Everything was believable because it was new and I was novel. I was obsessed with her because it's this representation. There's black people here that are not me. That was a big deal. I grew up loving her on kind of a local level end quote. As found in a previous study that I did with children living in direct provision, Sunita is racially identifying with music artists here. As well as this, Sunita is afforded a chance to capitalize on her otherness through the representation of a black female pop artist in Ireland, or as she says, at a local level. She distinguishes this as being quite different to such representation through an international star such as Whitney Houston. She claims, my formative years were spent in the countryside in Kerry, which is where I call home and being very kind of Irish, but Irish in a very unique way, where I'm a black girl raised by two white people in a countryside context. It felt very much like I'm basically the whitest black girl that you know. So don't even look at my colour. It's a very complex thing, the idea of black identity. I find myself having to justify myself on both sides where someone looks at me and assumes I'm very much maybe African or American or whatever else. And then I go into a black community and they're like, you're not really like us, are you? You're like a weird, funny Oreo version of it or whatever. While I also don't prescribe to that idea of fitting into any neat version of what people expect blackness to be. I'm constantly responding to a lot of surprise as to how I present myself and the way that I think and the ways that I live my life. Connecting with this, Sunita's musical identity is multifaceted and draws from numerous genres and influences. She also has mixed informal and formal music learning within her musical journey. The wide music friendship circles and networks acquired during her degree aided her route to gaining DJ and band gigs in Cork and beyond. She explains about the music scene. Cork was my musical home and the growth of my musical identity. Experimentation with different genres, either listening or performing. Because the Cork scene was relatively slow, it was easier to connect with and jam with musicians. Artists, anyway, have to be a bit scrappy in terms of finding spaces and having somewhere where you can listen Either or DJ or play or whatever it may be, but also instilling the value of that, like creating a scene that's culturally enriching to the place and makes it more attractive for other young people to come in. Sunita repeatedly talks of the Cork music scene as a network that is built on shared interests and interactions. Yet she also recognizes the novelty factor that she brings to that space. She says, Cork is a hub in itself, and it kind of nurtures and supports itself, and I feel like I was also novel. Like, I don't know how many of my friends or people in that community of the creative world would have had that many, you know, Black Irish people. That's essentially very different, and is something different to contribute, but also feels very relatable. So there was probably a huge element of curiosity as to what I did and what I brought to the table. And I would like you to play. We're talking about Sunita's music all the time, so it's time to actually hear some of it and, and, and watch. So here's a music video, a short clip from a track by her band Shukra. This track is called Flex. What's interesting about the video is it's um, shot within a very well-known Cork music venue called Dali. And we also see in the video quite a diverse group of dancers from the Cork art scene alongside Sunita. Here we go.
2: Time to
1: So what's interesting about Sunita having been so rooted to the Cork music scene is she has since moved, very recently, moved to the capital, leaving behind her well-established arts and cultural relationships built up over many years. She states... Moving to Dublin has been another journey, even though I know quite a lot of people from a network perspective, they're not real relationships. So I can find that a bit vacuous. People that might be from Dublin or have been there a while might have an added advantage because people just know them and they socialize together. They're in the scene. Sunita recognizes that these cultural urban scenes are difficult to access and rely on continued engagements and interactions over time. And in, in, in <clears throat> taking that notion of, of engagements and interactions over time, I'm now going to move to Galway because I want to talk more specifically about this idea of scenes, places, and spaces amongst African migrant musicians. So I'm gonna take two musicians in Galway and two particular venues. One is the Roching Dove Lauded as the West of Ireland's finest music and comedy venue. And the other venue is Oris Nangwale, known as Galway's Irish language and cultural centre. By centering the discussion on space and identity, I want to depart from a focus on ethnic club nights or seemingly identifiable African musical spaces, events, or nights. And instead, I'm going to look at diasporic music making as moments of both interaction and encounter. Okay. So to do this, I want to uh, examine two different musicians. Here on the left side of your screen is Wally Nikita, and on the right side is Theo Nedlovu. Wally is 53 years old. He was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He's a rumba musician and DJ. And Theo is a 24-year-old Zimbabwean rapper and DJ. They've spent several years attending gigs and performing at the Roshing Dove and Oris Ngwale. By following their multiple experiences of performing in these cultural spaces for over a decade, we see how, like Sunita, over time they both shape and transform musical space in Galway. Open mic nights become platforms for anti deportation protest, while an Irish language centre becomes home to a monthly grassroots Afro music night. Thus, These places are the products of the production of space. And it's from this vantage point that I explore these two musicians' relationships to the Galway music scene, not as fixed and unchanging, but as continually shifting collections of stories so far, just as Sunita's story continually shifts, changes, and moves. Again, to relate back to the title of the talk about statelessness. The two musicians presented here again arrived in ireland seeking asylum and Theo is still living within direct provision arsning Mingwale, then literally translated as the house of the irish it's an irish language center based in the city for over 25 years despite the strong branding and the promotion of quite a stereotyped irishness Monthly Afro music nights have found a home here. Here we witness a distinctive musical night space, pulsating with music ranging from Afrobeat, hip hop, house, Afro house, African and European electronic dance music, amongst others. DJ Wally organises and plays sets at these Afro music nights, which not only involves inviting guest DJs, but also involves mopping up spilled drinks, a very glamorous job. This is very much a grassroots local event and one which gains monetary support from local government, symbolizing a citywide formal acknowledgement of new communities, at least in a financial sense. So um, even though Wally was born in, 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 in the DRC, he spent a large portion of his early adult life in South Africa. He's been a performing musician long before he moved to Ireland. He's a professional vocalist, he performs in rumba bands and choirs, but he's also an experienced DJ. Soon after his arrival in Ireland, and while still living in direct provision, he immersed himself in a range of musical activities across the broader community, such as joining a choir, forming a band, despite the daily challenges he's faced, as well as being moved around the country quite a bit. He claims, I don't count those six years in direct provision. Those were against my will. Once granted residency, he immediately returned to Galway as he felt he had a ready-made community there waiting from musical connections made in previous years. He now repeatedly talks of Galway as home. Through links with a local promoter in Galway, Wally's band was invited to perform gigs at Orsening Whale as part of a series of ongoing what were termed as multicultural events that ran right back as far as 2012. And I'm just going to there's just a few uh, images of uh, Wally doing his thing in Orsening Whale. And this is, so, this is his first performance in Orsening Whale with a band he had at the time. <laughs> Performances in Auris makes clear that from as early as 2012, Wally was continually crossing paths with a range of musicians and community members in this space. By 2017, just one year after Wally leaves Direct Provision, he established his own monthly grassroots community event in the same venue. Known as Afro Music Night, this monthly event features local DJs (coughs) who perform music from across the African continent. And indeed, many of whom are still living in direct provision. The crowd, however, draws from a multi generational group from various backgrounds. And here is a short clip of Afro Music Night. Actually, I'm sure as I'm playing all these music videos in different venues, I'm sure you're all longing to go to a gig. I certainly (laughs) am. Anyway, here's another. music night affords an outlet for DJs and artists living in direct provision to connect through music. It also works to establish links and ties between diverse members of Galway's community. Because of the variety of events taking place throughout the week at the Orsling Whale, attendance at Wally's Friday night event is not siloed. Rather, those who attend language events or Irish traditional music nights on other nights throughout the week flow into Wally's Friday night event, often by chance. The bar manager further explained that the event is an evolution that led us to here through the years we've been doing it. It's not like we intended for this to happen. It's just kind of the way that it worked. It just took on from there. I think his wording here is quite significant because it highlights the production of of spaces as, as organic, really, as not being ever neat, but continually shifting over time through intersections and crossed paths, as well, of course, as cor- courses, paths that were missed or connections not made. Just as members of the Auris community pop into Wally's monthly Friday night event, Wally explains that in recent years, he has started to attend the Irish traditional music night in the Auris Ngwale on Sunday evenings and he's also started Irish language classes at the venue. So rather than view Afro Music Night as a specific event limited to Afro diasporic communities in Galway then, the creation of this musical space is witnessed through extended moments, meetings, and entanglements that Wally has made over 10 years, including a diverse range of migrant communities and also non-migrant communities. Wally's multiple experiences of performing and being in the Orsling Whale are not completely positive, however. On occasion, Wally has experienced negative comments, particularly from members of the broader community who disagree with African musical events taking place in an Irish language and cultural centre. Wally also alludes to the continuous othering that occurs in everyday conversations, explaining Irish persons ask me, why Galway? My answer is, Galway wanted me to be here. It's not me that wanted to be in Galway. Galway was calling me, Wally, can you come? We need someone like you. Wally asserts a confidence in his identity as both Congolese and Galwegian, as Afro-Irish. Similar to his musical identity, it is multiple, agentic, open and nuanced. And now to the Roisin Dove. The Roisin Dove, loosely translated as Black Rose, is a key music and comedy venue in Galway, well known both nationally and internationally. Akin to the Aorus, it has become increasingly a more diverse space in recent years, reflecting the city it resides in. Despite this, The singer songwriter and band lineups are predominantly white and afro music struggles to gain a space beside the other genres represented once a week however an open mic night offers such opportunities theo has been a dj for the majority of his life in zimbabwe and began to rap just a year before he moved to ireland five years ago theo is in the asylum seeking system as was Wally for six years before gaining residency status. And indeed, Sunita was in it for two years. In his first performances at the Roisin Dove, Theo stood in front of an audience accustomed to instrumentalists and singer-songwriters from Galway. Instead, Theo rapped. He rapped newly composed hip hop songs, exploring his experiences of life in Galway. Theo therefore steps into a musical space with seemingly defined parameters of musical genre and style, complicating notions of what it means to be a musician in Galway in the process. At one of his earliest open mic performances in 2017, Theo introduces a song from his second mixtape to a majority white audience. He asks, how many people here like hip hop? Only a couple of hands are raised. He exclaims, word and enters into a two-minute a cappella rap that is met with an enthusiastic and clapping audience. I'm going to show you a, a, a short clip of it. The sound is not wonderful, but you'll certainly get a sense, so.
2: I'm um, here to perform one of my pieces, like one of my pieces. I'm working on my second mixtape right now, and I hope you like it, mm. okay, so, and before I start, how many people have hip here? Word? <laughs> <laughs> Right, thanks. Ah right, cool, man. It's like this. Yeah. <laughs> a mind of a dreamer is always in pain. Fighting my demons, no way I'm to lose. Burning my sheep cause I don't wanna go pep to trauma in that misery. No, I won't it And soon I'm a sizzle. My mama be working Monday to Friday, but that she won't carry. The is too high, but she's making us happy. She's trying too hard to give us education. She's working too hard, never sleeping all night. Giving us that when we need it the most. Mother figure and a father figure, you must style mama, keep on shining. I'm a big boy with big dreams. I get wet dreams of a beamers. When I wake up I just keep on making moves, I never tell a soul because these people's got two faces. That is a fact. It's so sad, but it's based on a true story. But I'm a soldier. And all of these niggas, they knows no the one face me. They see a TV, they think they're thugs. They are started the game, I'm just pushing for better things. I'm puffing on merry, I'm filling my cups with the goody goodies. Now they're looking at me like what them is a good. I'm working so hard. I'm putting my hood in the mail. Yeah, I'm saying my prayers. I'm making this music for everybody like I'm talking to Jesus. I'm an alien, you idiot. I told you I would never give you, now I'm chasing you know, all this mommies just to you know, on their faces. I'm done with the jokes, now I will stay on my job. I'm standing for something, not funny for dumb shit, done the same thing. I'm amazing, man, no. Thank you.
1: Within six months, Theo's open mic performances begin to change, where he's much more confident and often collaborates with friends. His songs and raps are unapologetic about his experiences of living through the asylum-seeking system and his music speaks about the experiences to everyone in the room with lines such as, I come from Africa, still a slave, I'm stuck. Speaking of his experiences of performing at open mic nights in the Rochin Dove, Theo explains, let me get it up there. That place is lit. I've done a few things there and a few performances and the way it happens, I don't know, people don't judge you there. They see you're doing something different and that's cool. They support your need, it's good. The more you go there, the more you get the hang of things, the more you get confident in what you do and how you deliver that. And you start talking to people in between songs and you know what to say. But it doesn't go well all the time because sometimes you feel intimidated by the crowd. Here, Theo explores the production of musical space at night, not only through his performances, but also in moments of discussion in the crowd before or after a performance and how you connect with a crowd on stage. This quote highlights the complexities of producing musical space as an experience that sometimes is lit and non-judgmental, a space for creative freedom, while at times also being intimidating and uncomfortable. Following a deportation order from the Irish government, cultural groups in the city collaborated with open mic organizers to run an open mic style fundraising event called Save Theo at the Roaching Dove to help with Theo's legal needs. And there's um, an image of that Save Theo night, absolutely packed queues out the door to attend that night in the Roaching Dove. It was an incredible, quite an incredible night. Really, really packed. Huge support from the Galway community. And here is Peel performing with one of his collaborators, one of his musician collaborators here. Here's a little clip from that night. <coughs> Again, just giving you a flavour. It was clear from the images and video that these music communities were not limited to migrant performers, but encompassed a range of individuals participating through their own performances, through donations from businesses, through dancing and engaging with other performances, including Theo's. The Save Theo event then was, in a sense, a culmination of a process of producing musical space and musical communities in the Rohingya Dove across several years through a series of transcultural interactions and indeed missed interactions. The activist nature of the event further highlighted a newly recognized space for what the sound of the city is as well as what it looks like. And as a follow-up, in case any of you are wondering, uh, Theo is still in the country, but there still is a deportation order there. So the battle continues. In conclusion, a focus on migrant musical experiences in urban spaces yields new insights into how these experiences are woven together through transcultural interactions over time, or what Sorensen might call a multi centered world of circuits and contacts. Through an exploration of distinctive musical spaces and three musicians, we see that music can act as an important point of access for migrants to position themselves within such worlds. The musicians do not just inhabit these spaces, but instead shape them in new ways and are in turn shaped by them as the cities continually change over time. For instance, rapping was not a feature of open mic night, but over time, Theo inserts himself in this space and thus changes the event in doing so. As Trianderphiphilidu suggests, these transcultural repertoires may originate initially from external categorizations bracket the foreigner, the outsider, the different close brackets that are later internalized and transformed into a new layer of identity bracket, the pivotal person, the transcultural community builder, close bracket. thus, The three musicians, all having come through the asylum-seeking system or indeed still within it, find agency and a sense of belonging through music and so open up to alternative forms of identity that reject rigid and homogenous categorizations. Sharon Todd states, When voices begin to be heard or when things previously invisible are put into our field of vision, then publics are claimed. End quote. The deemed statelessness of these three musicians involved further emphasized this need for visibility and a claiming of a public space. This is shown to be both a subjective but also a communal experience amongst migrants and non-migrants that highlights how such transcultural practices are shaping new and future cultural spaces within Irish cities.
0: Thanks for listening to this UCD Humanities Institute podcast. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities.